If I haven't met you yet, and this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're going to be in the book of Jonah. We've been in the book of Jonah for the past uh, eight weeks or so, and today we, it's our last sermon in Jonah. Have you guys been enjoying it? It's been pretty good, right, so far? Nobody. Wow. Okay, I guess we're not going to preach through Jonah again. Just kidding. Y'all love it. All right. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah 4, verses 5 through 11. 4, uh, verses 5 through 11. And uh, raise your hand if, well, maybe don't. I don't want to embarrass anyone. This is maybe medical history. But who, who here has seen a chiropractor before? Anyone been to a chiropractor? Some, a lot of y'all. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I have too. And so re- fairly recently. Okay, so my family knows a guy in Middleburg. This guy's name's Andy. And uh, he's a chiropractor. But apparently he works with, like, Olympic athletes. And, and like, he's the real deal, okay? And... Um, I went to him, I've gone to him twice, uh, no more than that because your boy's balling on a budget and chiropractors are expensive. But why do you go to a chiropractor? You go to a chiropractor because you're out of alignment. Something is out of alignment in your body. You're walking with a limp, your back's out of whack, your shoulder is is popping and cracking because you've had some shoulder surgeries, right? That's why you go to a chiropractor. It's for alignment. And when you go to a chiropractor, what do they do? When you see a chiropractor, someone shout out what they do when you go to a chiropractor. Help me preach this morning. We got kids present. It's going to be great. All right. They crack your back, right? They, they do some, some pulling, some stretching, right? What's that? They release the tension, right? And the means that this chiropractor uses is they have wisdom. They can, they can look at, if you ever know like someone who's in PT and they just see you walk and they're like, yo, I... That you're completely off, okay? Let me help you out, right? So they have wisdom. They've had training. They also have strength and power, and they also have these instruments that they use when you go to a chiropractor, and they use all of those to, to work your body back into alignment, okay? And so I went, the first time I went, I went because I had, I've had three shoulder surgeries, and uh, occasionally, man, it's just, it's like no range of motion. It hurts like crazy. So I go to this guy. I've never been before. And he, like, puts me in a pretzel. He's like, hey, put your arm like this, put your other leg like this, and then I'm going to punch you in the stomach. He punches me in the stomach, you know, and it's like, and all of a sudden, he's like, oh, man, the pain's got in my shoulder because it's gone to my stomach. Okay, he doesn't punch you in the stomach. Okay, just kidding. But no joke, he's got like this, it looks like a crowbar. It's metal, and it's got this bar, and he's just like, like working the ligament, like the IT band here, just like, it's like my shoulder's messed up, but he's over on my right hip just driving this thing into, like, the pain, right? And then he's stretching and he's twisting me like a pretzel. And I'm, I'm like, I'm in agony. It's painful. It hurts. But then there comes that moment after 30 minutes. He says, hey, get up, test it out. And I kid you not. I, he goes, check out your shoulder, see if you got range of motion. And my shoulder, I felt like almost flew up into the ceiling. I was like, whoa. I was, I, 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 at that moment, I almost cried because I had never had that much range of motion since 2010. And I looked at the guy, and I go, I mean, I was like, I, I made a joke. I was like, what kind of freaky black magic are you into? Like, that was like, I was like, you just healed my shoulder. You know, what happened? Like, that, like what was that, right? And the reason I share that is our hope with this series, the sermon series. That's why we preach the word of God. The, the word of God, yes, God by the spirit and his word will, will comfort us. But God in, in, in his word and by his spirit will also convict us to conform us into the image of Christ. And thank God that when we come to know Jesus, he doesn't leave us as he finds us. Amen? Isn't anyone here happy if you've been walking with the Lord for a while that you're not who you were at day one knowing Jesus? 
right? Like, hallelujah, thank you, God, for your intentional activity. And what we're going to see today in Jonah is that God is far more concerned about our character than he is with our comfort. He's far more concerned about our Christ-likeness and what's happening in our hearts uh, than he is just about giving us health and, and wealth and and comfort. And so our hope with this sermon series, the, the series theme has been mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's what we as followers of Jesus, that's our anthem. That's our, our song is that God's mercy has come to us through his judgment, not coming to us for our sins, but going to his precious son, Jesus, on the cross. And so as we opened up our hands and received that gift, we now are under his mercy for all of eternity, his grace, his compassion, his kindness. Why? Because Christ took our judgment for us. So mercy, God's mercy, has triumphed through his just judgment of falling upon Jesus Christ for our sin. So that's our anthem. That's our song. And so the series theme and our hope would be that our hearts would be aligned with the heart of God and that God in his word reveals himself as a God who is gracious who is kind, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And as followers of Jesus, Ephesians 5, uh, Ephesians 5.1 says this, uh, be imitators of God. Have God's thoughts. Have God's heart. See things. See, see the sinner the way Christ sees the sinner. And our heart and our hope with this series is that there be some heart realignment work by the Spirit, by the Word. Wherever there's hatred towards the sinner, wherever there's prejudice in our hearts, that God would conform us and convict us and lead us into righteousness and into compassion and grace. And so um, with that said, we're going to pray and dive in, and I'm going to do some on-the-minute adjusting for my sermon uh, because we do not have too much time and your kids are in the service, and uh, uh, I don't want to be up here for 45 minutes uh, with uh, where we're at the shot clock right now. So let me pray, and we will dive in, and uh, God will move through his word on our hearts. Hmm. Heavenly Father, we love you, God. We love you. We love you. We love you. We thank you that when Moses said, I want to see you, God, like we sang about today, oh, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And what you did with Moses is you said, I'll let my goodness pass before you. And you said, I, and then you revealed your nature, your character of what you're like. And you said, I am a gracious and compassionate God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And that's the God we come to today. That's the God we, we fix our eyes upon. That's the God that we ask that you would open up the eyes of our, our hardened heart, hearts, our sometimes bitter, resentful hearts, that you would soften our hearts today by your spirit. What Tyler was saying, the 2024 coming up election year and, and all the division, all the hostility, all the hatred that's going from one camp to another, back to the other camp and to another, that the world is wondering and watching, is there uh, a people, is there a place that's known for grace and for mercy and for compassion. And Lord, let it be said of your church in this, in this hour, in this moment, this historical moment, that we would clothe ourselves in the grace that you've shown us and extend that grace to those that don't deserve it, just like we didn't deserve it and we don't deserve it, God. So come having your way with your word and with our hearts in these next few moments. And Lord, we do pray, Lord, that this, this would be a sacred moment 
with all of us before you. And Lord God, we thank you that you're a father and that you love us, you delight in us. And the best thing you could give us, God, would be conviction of things we're blind to so we could be more like our daddy. We could be more like our father. That's what we want. That's the cry of our heart, God, is make us more like you. Make us more like you. And when we pray that prayer, you might say, okay. Might be some discomfort. Might be some stretching. But Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you, the great physician, you, you, will, you will do whatever it takes for our good to conform our hearts into something beautiful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that, God. And so we give you this time. We pray, uh, Lord Jesus, that you'd be magnified and you would increase and I would decrease. And all God's people said, amen. Verse five, we're gonna go verse by verse. Let's jump on in. Verse five. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And so what's the context of where we find ourselves in Jonah? Where, if you know the story of Jonah, uh, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the prophet and said, go outside of Israel, go outside the four walls of Israel, and go to your sworn enemies, the Assyrians. And I want you to call them to repentance because their evil, their sins have been so bad, so barbaric, that I'm going to bring disaster upon them. And you're going to go, you're going to say, disaster is coming in 40 days unless you repent. And what we see is that Jonah uh, did the exact opposite. He fled to Tarshish. Lord had to get a little fish involved, got, the, got Jonah back, right? And then what happens is Jonah finally goes, he preaches the message, and the entire city of Nineveh repents. The entire city of Nineveh repents. It's a miracle. It's like the greatest ministry moment of any servant of God to see like hundreds of thousands of people repent. Revival spreads through the whole city. And uh, you would expect Jonah in this moment to be elated, to be on his hands and knees weeping, saying, thank you, God, that you showed mercy and you didn't bring disaster. And instead, what we learned about last week is Jonah is furious. Jonah is like super mad, exceedingly angry. And the reason he's mad is because, yes, he knew that God was kind and gracious and abounding in steadfast love to him, to his people, but he's mad that God extended that compassion to Nineveh, to the Ninevites, to the Assyrians. And so what, so what Jonah does is at this moment, the city has repented. And in verse 10, the, 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 sorry, the, the verse 4, no, no, uh, verse 10 of, of chapter 3, what we see is that God relented. God relented of disaster. He spared the Ninevites. But why does Jonah all of a sudden exit stage left? He leaves Nineveh, and instead of going back home and testifying to everything that God had done to, to, to Israel and, and just the grace that God has shown, or instead of Jonah staying in Nineveh and beginning to disciple some of the new converts, to disciple them, to coach them about how to steward this repentance, Jonah exits stage left. He goes to the east side of the city, and he finds like a great view of Nineveh. Why? Why is Jonah, I mean, he set up like a little booth, Right? He's got his foldable chair, brought a cooler with some drinks, right? What's, what's, what's going on here? Jonah is hoping to God that God changes his mind and Nineveh still gets scorched. That's what he's, Jonah is watching in, in anticipation, not for mercy to fall, but for wrath to fall on Nineveh, right? So he, um, uh, I'm a big NFL fan. And so I love watching football. So every fall, I, I work in an NFL reference. Sorry. Uh, once the season's over, don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, but it's funny. When you're watching football, you have a team you cheer for. 
and you're watching the team you cheer for. You're wearing their jersey, right? Some of them got like, you know, Eagles, a pair, you know, like an Eagles mug as you're watching the game, you know. Sorry, Eagles, Cowboys, sorry last week. Pray for you guys, Matthews. Um, but uh, you, every, every victory that your team does, you cheer for. You're like, look at that pass. Yeah, that was amazing. Got a touchdown, field goal, so on and so forth. But what's fascinating is that you also cheer when the other team, like, gets hurt or fumbles or makes a bad play. You're like, yeah, crush him. And, like, all this, like, this, this, this wells up in you. We're like, wow, geez, like, I'm cheering disaster upon these people while I'm also cheering, you know, blessing upon them. Like, oh, man, that could be, you know, a little bit. And, 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 and the reason I share that is this, is Jonah, our series theme, mercy triumphs over judgment. What team is Jonah cheering for right now? Like, Jonah's, Jonah's watching a big game, right? It's mercy versus judgment over Nineveh. The stadium's Nineveh, God's mercy, God's judgment. And Jonah is there in his judgment, team judgment jersey. And he's there. And his team, against team mercy, God's mercy, his team is in the fourth quarter. They're down by 70 points. No timeouts left, seven seconds. And Jonah is still there, and he's cheering on team judgment. Come on, we can still make a comeback. Let's go judgment. J-U-D-G-E-M-E-N-T. So judgment. Let's go judgment. Like, like, topple Nineveh, God, come on. We can still pull together. I know it's only seven seconds, but anything's possible, right? He's cheering. He's watching with hopeful anticipation. Now, the, now the, the, the reason I hone in on that is what jersey are we wearing constantly as Christians? What team are we cheering for, right? When Jesus looks at the sinner, Nineveh, the Ninevites, I mean, just study history. The Assyrian Empire was brutal, brutal towards Israel and towards their enemies. They did some horrific things. And so how does Jesus, when he looks at the sinner, what is his heart? Those who are quote-unquote far from God. And what we know about Jesus is that when he looks at the sinner, he looks through the lens of restoration. He looks through the lens of, of what this person could become, not just where they're at right now, right? And so those are the lens that Jesus gives followers uh, his followers, redemptive lenses, rest, rest, restoration lenses. How do you view that people group? How do you view that person you have beef with? Do you look at them by their history or by their destiny? Not, do you view them just by what is, what's presenting, or what could possibly be if Jesus Christ grabs a hold of their heart? And I love this in John 5, Jesus with the... Uh, the paralytic, the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. And, and this is uh, uh, what we see about how our Savior views people. I love this story. John 5, 2 through 9, verses will be on the screen. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. This is like an ER uh, waiting room without any doctors and hope of anyone ever getting checked in. It's awful. And one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Talk about viewing someone by their history, like hasn't walked for 38 years, probably not going to walk again, right? And then watch this. When Jesus saw him lying there, Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time. Jesus said to him, man, you're toast. There's no hope for you. I'm going to move on to somebody else. That can't help you. That's not what Jesus says. What does Jesus say? Do you want to be healed? The great physician is here. Will you entrust yourself to me? 
If you place, give me just your yes, and I will resurrect your life. And the sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps in down before me. There's some super superstition about the pool that an angel would stir up the waters, and then would have to run to get to the water, and then if they got to the water, they would be healed. That's the context there. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. You want to talk about realignment that Jesus gives, right? This is the realigning, redemptive, restorative work that Jesus does. And this is a picture of what Jesus has done with all of our hearts, where before we came to know Jesus, maybe some of us were decades in in sin and disobedience and shaking our fists at the heavens, and God didn't give up on us. God didn't just say, oh yeah, blanket statement, like I condemn you. No, he said, hey, I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on you. That's the lens that we have to view others. Instead of condemning us, instead of canceling us, instead of keeping our distance, Jesus Christ entered into our brokenness and into our sin so that he could bring us redemption and restoration. And so now as followers of Jesus, the team that we cheer for, the the jersey that we wear is team mercy and compassion. And so if some of us are here today and we're wearing the team judgment jersey, and man, our keyboard's been on fire on social media, you know, of just judgment, judgment, judgment. Like, that's everyone. Like, like, Team Judgment has so many followers and fans on social media. Like, I think Team Mercy has, like, one guy. And it's like, Jesus, if Jesus was on social media, be like, he's the only guy who's, like, seeing people through a redemptive lens of not canceling them, but, but loving them and having hope, hopeful anticipation, not for judgment and destruction, but for salvation and redemption. We're Team Mercy. What God has done to us, showing us mercy and grace in our sins, we want to see him do that to others. Verse 6, moving on. So Jonah, this, the, Jonah's outside the city. He's, he's still he's simmering mad. He's in his little booth, and he's, he's watching Nineveh, and he's hoping the sky clears up. He's looking for a firework display to see maybe some fire and brimstone start breaking out. And this is what happens next. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. I love this. Jonah finally has a breakthrough, Right? This is the first time in the narrative of Jonah we see Jonah is exceedingly glad, not exceedingly angry. And I imagine if you put yourself in the shoes of Jonah, he's like, yeah, thanks, God. It's about time you started uh, giving me what I deserve. I did what you called me to do. I went to my enemies. I preached your gospel. They all repented. And now finally, it's not a fish you appointed. Thank you. It's some shade. Big plant. You know, Jonah's on his throne of judgment, and God in his grace gives, like, uh, you know, some leafy bamboo leaves to fan him and, and to cool him off. And now Jonah is, is simmering down a little bit. He's, he's cool. And, and what's wild about this is, the, is, is this, is that Jonah is in the middle of one of the biggest adult temper tantrums of his life. Like, he's having a full-blown temper tantrum, like huffing and puffing, kicking rocks, you know, all of this, I mean, this is, I'm not exaggerating. Go, go read chapter, earlier chapter four, and we'll see it here. He's mad. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that, God decides to bless him. God decides to give Jonah something he doesn't deserve, shade, a break, a blessing. And the lesson there is this. Hey, Jonah, you're fuming mad that I gave the Ninevites comfort in their sin. I blessed them when they didn't deserve. That's what mercy means, is that you're getting what you don't deserve. And now you are getting what you don't deserve. Do you not see that? Do you not see that? 
that I'm blessing you in the middle of, like, like I was thinking about this, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, imagine like my three-year-old was throwing like the biggest temper tantrum that he's ever had because, you know, he was, he was punching his siblings, and then I told him to stop punching his siblings, and then he was like, I want to punch my siblings, so he threw a tantrum. And then it'd be like me, like, hey, let me get you some shade. Let me get you some chocolate milk and put on some Paw Patrol. Let me bless you in the middle of this tantrum, right? And I think sometimes, you know, we get so tripped up on God's justice uh, and his wrath that God is a just judge. And because he's a God of love that he can't leave, like, sin unpunished, right? Like, if you're a, if you're a parent and you love someone, if you see someone begin to destroy what you love, something wells up inside of you. It's that, that, you know, like, we have a heart for justice baked, even, even the non-believer knows that, but we get tripped up, and we're like, no, God, you know, oh, God, uh, it offends me that God is so just, and, and actually, when we begin to think about it and process it, it's his grace that should startle us and offend us more, right, and especially his common grace. Theologians uh, talk about common grace being defined as, as, as this. Common grace as an expression of the goodness of God is every favor falling short of salvation which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. This includes the delay of wrath, the mitigation of our sin natures, natural events that lead to prosperity, and all gifts that humans use and enjoy naturally. And the way Jesus talks about God's common grace, that God uh, loves his, his people and blesses his people, but God in his common grace blesses all of humanity. This is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is the ethic of our day and age, and 2,000 years ago, this was, was, this was the ethic. Hey, love your tribe and hate the other tribe. And Jesus flips it. This, if we're a follower of Jesus, this is our ethic now. And Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Why are we to love our enemies? Because what Jesus says is, is, is once you get the gift of adoption, you get a father to emulate, to be like. And, and how is your father, how does your father treat his enemies? Well, there's, there's billions of people that don't know God, that don't love him, that, are, uh, that actually hate God and, and hate other people, do evil things. And every single day, the sun shines on them. There's provision of food and, and sustenance. There's, there's, there's blessing of prosperity. And so, like, for me, I got four kids at home. You know how hard it is? You know how hard it is to feed four kids? Anyone? Someone say preach. That's a lot of work, a lot of money, right? I'll take care of my own, or I'll give you a squeeze pouch and some other stuff. I mean, we had to make an Aldi run after something we did last night. It took forever. I mean, Aldi's great, by the way. Anyways, side note. <laughs> You're balling on a budget. Go to Aldi. Anyways, imagine the audacity of me not just providing for all of the water, utilities, and food of people in my own household, but my entire neighborhood, like North Springfield. Hey, it's on me. It's on me. And like, what if I knew some of the, like some of the, the hidden, dark, insidious things of some of these, these people there, and I still gave them food. I still gave them provision, right? And there's kids present. I can start naming some things, but as you imagine, maybe some of you are like, yeah, I know some of my neighbors, right? Like I'm praying for them. Right? But imagine that level of generosity and grace compounded by billions upon billions upon billions. That's God's heart every single day. Blessing upon blessing, food, water, Wi-Fi, provision, care, right? God to his people and to those who aren't his people. And then the ethic that flows from it is we are to imitate God. We are to put God's character, his nature on display 
And God is kind and compassionate to those that are far from him. God is kind and compassionate. That is what clearly what Jesus is teaching in his word. That's God's common grace. And that should confound us and confuse us because God is so unlike us. Who would do that? Which of you would do that right now? Start paying the bill, footing the bill of provision for those in your neighborhood, especially those that are, uh, you know, the neighbor that doesn't mow his lawn, right? The neighbor that leaves his trash out, right? The neighbor who, you know, whatever, whatever it is, right? His dog's barking all the time, that neighbor, right? And that's God's grace. That's the equality and the quantity of his grace is shown to us in his common grace that he causes the sun to shine and his rain to fall on both the just and the unjust in his, in his kindness to them. Verses seven through eight, moving on. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. This is funny, sorry. That attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. Like he's, my boy's about to pass out. And he asked him that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Um, now, as quickly God, as God gave Jonah this plant, man, he took it away. And as soon as God appointed this plant, he also appointed a worm and a scorching east wind. He replaced shade with like a, a hair dryer on full blast in the Middle East on Jonah's head. Like just, and Jonah's sweating bullets, and he is like ready to pop. He is furious, right? Now, is God being cruel here? Is God being mean? Is God being unjust? Or is this one of the kindest things that God can do is not let Jonah be content with his sin? It's, not the, it's, not, it's God's grace. It's God's kindness that God is making Jonah uncomfortable, not just to mess with him and to make us laugh, although it's kind of funny, but we can laugh about it because God doesn't do that with us in our hearts, right? And so God, the, the great physician, the great chiropractor, is saying, Jonah, your heart is out of alignment. You have murderous resentment in your heart towards that city. And I'm not going to let you sit in your throne of judgment over this city any longer. And so I'm going to change some things circumstantially in your life so that you can see what you can't see. I have to do some things. I have to uh, uh, take the plant away and, and bring some circumstantial hardship in your life to, to have you see that this is not okay, that I'm not just after your comfort, I'm after your character, that you're my boy, I haven't given up on you, and I gotta disciple you in this moment. And so what we have to realize is that when we're saved, when we get salvation, we also get adoption. Thank God that we get a father. We're sons and daughters, and we get a heavenly father now who has pledged his faithfulness to be all up in your business the rest of your life. The Holy Spirit moving on into your heart. Thank you, God. The Spirit of Christ moves in. And some people say, man, before I was a Christian, life was easy, right? Now I've given my life to Christ, and now there's this war going on. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening? I feel like I'm dying. And it's God's gift to you. It's called sanctification. It's called the Holy Spirit. God's saying, hey, 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 hey. This used to be cool in your house. It ain't cool anymore. We got to get rid of this. We are like, I don't want to get rid of this. And that's where it starts, right? That wrestling. Oh, wait, but I really, I really like that sin. I, I don't want to see it go. God's like, if you want me and you want my presence, and I do want you, but I cannot tolerate this in your life. It's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy everyone you love. Got to get rid of it, right? Hebrews 12 says this, and then I'm going to skip ahead to the conclusion. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there uh, uh, whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good. Why? That we may share in his holiness, that we may become like him. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields to the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it, right? And so going back to that illustration at first to the chiropractor, often in our relationship with God, we go, God, make me like you. Take away, just realign my heart, God. Open the eyes of my heart, but do it. Don't ever make me uncomfortable. Don't stretch me. Don't cause any pain. Um, Just side hug me and and affirm everything that I, I think and I believe and I value. Uh, but don't ever stretch me. Don't ever put me in any situation that's going to uh, make me fearful. Don't, 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 don't make me. Don't twist me. Don't, don't, don't shake and bake me, God. Like, like, like keep me comfortable. I want, I want your character. I want your Christ-likeness. And God said, all right, yeah, it's going to happen, but it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard, right? Mortification, putting our sinful flesh to, to death, it's, it's warfare, right? But then the fruit of it, when we get, when Jesus begins to, to work in our, in our life and, and we go through these seasons of, of battling certain sins or, or just difficult trials, right? And then we get off that chiropractor bed and the Lord's like, test it now. Can you move it? And then all of a sudden, that which you couldn't do before, man, your, your, your left shoulder, bam, pops up and you're going, God, that was you. And the moment, like when I was on that table in the moment and this guy's like got me all like in like one of these things and, and, I'm, and he's driving something in my, my like ligament here, I'm going, my sister convinced me to go to this guy. I'm going, what did my sister do? Why, what did she do bringing me here? This guy is torturing me, right? There's confusion, there's pain, but when I look back, and, I, and the Lord's like, test it, right? Not the Lord, but the chiropractor, but it, it, when we're talking about our sanctification, the Lord's like, hey, hey, you're not, you're not who you once were. That's my spirit's work in you. That's my spirit's work. So then, so then what we learn there is, is there's nothing greater than just entrusting your life into the precious, hair of God, precious hands of God the Father and, say, and laying down on the table saying, Lord, I truly do desire a heart and a life and a mouth and a mind that thinks like you, that speaks like you, that acts like you, King Jesus. So do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to infuse that in me. And in his grace and his kindness, by his word, his truth, and by his spirit, he does that in his grace to us. Because he's a good father, right? Every father uh, loves his son, and every father who loves his son or his daughter wants to do what they can to instill virtue and character in them. And so moving on to verse 9 and wrapping up here. Band, you can come on up and begin to play, and that, that way I will know that I'm, I'm wrapping up here soon. All right, verse 9. But God said to Jonah, watch this. So they're having this, this wrestling match, and, and Jonah's furious now. He's saying, I wish I wasn't here. And then God begins to speak, and God said, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, I absolutely do well to be angry, angry enough to die. If you remember earlier on in chapter 4, God asked Jonah this question, and Jonah didn't answer God asked this question about Nineveh. It says, do you do well to be angry about Nineveh not getting scorched, right? And then when God asked Jonah this question, he answers. He answers, and he says, absolutely. He doubles down on this question. What's happening here? What's happening here with God asking these questions? If you've ever been in these moments where the still small voice of God asks you a question, God is giving you a spiritual MRI, Right? And so that which is hidden to Jonah internally in his heart, God is, 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 is showing him and revealing him, this is where your heart is at, right? And what we're going to see next in the last verses of our text is the MRI results of Jonah's heart. And God just tells him where his heart's at. 
And the Lord said to Jonah in his anger, not in God's anger, but in Jonah's anger in this situation, verses 10 through 11, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The MRI results were, were startling for Jonah. And he was laid bare for all of us to see because we have this for thousands of years as a record, right? And we're all like Jonah. But what the MRI results showed was that Jonah, you care more about a leafy plant that gave you shade than you do about 120,000 people. That's bad, that's really bad. And you think I'm unjust for taking this plant and sparing this, uh, taking this plant. You think I'm unjust for that. I scorched the plant, but I didn't scorch Nineveh and you're mad at me for not doing that. You value this plant more than you do the people of Nineveh. And that's where, where there's a, a line where God says, and there's so much cattle. He's almost appealing here when he talks about the cattle in Nineveh. He's saying, listen, I know you don't care about the people of Nineveh, but you care about this plant. What about the livestock, Jonah? Can I get you there? And there's this beautiful question that God asked Jonah, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this. He goes, I love this. He looks at Jonah, and he answers him, and he asks him this question. And he says, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? God has compassion on the people that Jonah wanted to judge and to bring disaster to. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of our Savior that he looked upon us and he has said the same thing. Should I not pity Nick Mudrazo in his sin? Should I not pity, insert your name, in their sin, when their moments when they were far from me, walking from me, that, that, that yes, Nineveh's sin was evil. God was bringing disaster and even still they were gonna be held accountable for that, but God wanted to give them mercy, extend them mercy because they didn't know what they were doing. And where we see this same language is Jesus Christ on the cross. And so we're gonna take communion as a response. And so if you're here today and a follower of Jesus in good standing with your church, we invite you to take communion. There's elements in the hallway. And for parents of little ones, if your kid has professed faith in, in Jesus Christ and uh, has understood what the elements represent and the symbolic nature of communion, your kids, uh, we invite your kids to participate with us um, as well. But on the cross, the apex of the Christian faith the center of our faith, what we look to is Jesus Christ, is the Son of God crucified for sinners. And what is Jesus saying? What are some of his last words he's saying as he's taking our sin upon him, upon himself, on his shoulder, so that we could have mercy? What is coming out of Jesus' heart? What is coming out of Jesus' mouth? And this is what Luke 23 says about when Jesus Christ was on the cross. He was crucified between two criminals. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, where they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left, and Jesus said, watch this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. And then, and then he begins to talk. We see in the text, it talks about what these people were doing. They, they gambled over his clothes. They stood by watching. The, the Pharisees, they mocked Jesus. Imagine the spite and the hatred in your heart to mock someone hanging on a tree in their last moments and they're mocking him saying he saved others let him save himself 
if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, and then the Roman soldiers are mocking him, coming up and, and not offering him good wine, but sour, stale, nasty wine, and saying, if you are a king, then save yourself. And they even mocked him and said, look, here's your king, Israel. Here's the king of the Jews. And as Jesus is absorbing that hit, taking that hit, that hostility, that slander, that mocking, what comes out of Jesus Christ, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You want to know what God is, is like? Look no farther, farther than the person of Jesus who took on flesh and walked among us. And what, what came, what erupted out of his out of his, his suffocating lungs and his, and his heart on that cross was, Father, forgive them. Jesus is team mercy. He's team compassion. They do not know what they do. And so that's who we approach today with communion. That's who we've entrusted our lives to today. That's why we're still here breathing his air, uh, celebrating uh, his fellowship. is because of his grace, his mercy that he's given us. And so let's reflect upon that. Let's ask God to open up our eyes, open up our eyes to his mercy, his goodness, his compassion shown to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because uh, the night Jesus was betrayed, he, 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 he shared one last supper with his disciples, one last meal, and he took bread, symbolizing the wafer in your hands. He said, this is my body, which is gonna be broken for you. And then he took wine, he said, this will be my blood, which is gonna be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And he says, as much as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We look to the one who uh, his gaze upon us, upon us. If Christ was looking at us right now, he's looking at us, yes, with the eyes of, of compassion, but Jesus doesn't just weep for the, for the sinner. Jesus has died for the sinner. And he's offering those that are far from God today, anyone within the sound of my voice, God is crying out to you and saying, I am unlike anyone you will ever meet in this world. Anything that you think would keep you from me, I can handle. Bring me your sin and I will give you new salvation, new resurrection life. That's the invitation of Christ our King to those that are crucifying him. His Father, would you give forgiveness and would you adopt them into our family? That's who we approach. That's who we remember today with the Lord's Supper. So we're gonna um, sing one last song. Um, and this is a time of reflection for you to pray and to reflect on um, everything we've been learning in this series. And so let me close this in prayer and then I'll exit stage left and I'll let you uh, talk directly with God. So Heavenly Father, we, we come to you grateful that we can come to you, God. Your mercy is incredible. It's astounding. It's staggering. I can't imagine Jesus being in your shoes on that cross and saying what you said. And Lord, if, we, if, if you, Holy Spirit, unveiled the depths of our hearts, we would be those people in that moment laughing at you, spitting at you, mocking you. And you're a God who loves the sinner. You're a God who loves his enemies. You're a God who loves those who spit in his face. You're a God who loves those who strike you in the face. And that's why all of us are here in your grace and in your mercy. It's because that's the kind of God you are. You could have canceled me. You could have canceled us a long time ago. But thank God you're steadfast. And you're so steadfast, Jesus. You could have copped off that cross and you didn't. You stayed. You stayed until you could cry out, it is finished. Oh God, make us like you. 
Help us to see that the world needs that message in this hour. Forgive us where we, where we have been shown that the depths of unthinkable mercy and compassion and we cry out, we cry out, crucify them. When you're saying, God, forgive them. Bring them home, God. Thank you, God, for your love and for your mercy. We honor you, God. The depths of your mercy and your love is unfathomable. So we honor you, God, and we thank you and we praise you, God.